Matthew chapter 15. And uh, we, uh, we, we're in a series, Kingdom Come, Kingdom Come. We're talking about heaven on earth. We're talking about uh, not just a subject in the Bible, but what the, the Bible uh, is actually supposed to be viewed through. Um, this is a life-altering message. This is a uh, message that you don't hear very often. Um, if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, um, you've probably heard some statements that you've probably had to go maybe pray to Jesus about, <laughs> probably, you know, have to make sure. And, hey, that's what we want. If you're, just, if you're just taking what I'm saying and you're never, you know, taking it to heart and saying, Lord, you're going to have to show me that or, you know, reveal that to me in your word or help me see that, uh, then you're only doing half the battle. Uh, the fight starts when you walk back out that door. Amen. Amen. You're, you're, you're not at a finish line here. You're at a starting line. Some of you, you may have just had to fight to get here. Some of you may have had to wrangle the kids together to get in here this morning. Wrangle your husband or your wife to get in here this morning. Whatever battle you've had to fight just to get here. But uh, you're really at the starting line. Because now you've got to take what you're being taught and, and what you're receiving in this setting in the fellowship, and now we've got to walk back out there, we've got to study it out, we've got to apply it to our lives. And, and, and for me as a pastor, I really care more about what happens Monday through Friday than what happens here. I mean, I'll, I'll just tell you that. All, all of our uh, experience is designed so that you can receive the Word of God to the best of your ability. You probably wouldn't receive what I'm saying very well if nobody greeted you at the door this morning. You probably wouldn't uh, really care what I have to say right now if, if somebody was rude to you when you were dropping off your kids. Uh, if, if we didn't have a great worship uh, opportunity for you here today, you probably wouldn't have any care for what's coming out of my mouth. All that is to build you up and to wrap you up into this moment right here. This is the most important part. But, see, people don't go to church, usually not because of what the pastor's saying, usually because of all that other stuff. It's usually nobody was nice to me. Nobody talked to me. Nobody cared that I was there. I didn't like how they handled my kids. The worship wasn't that great. Those are the reasons why people choose. And, and, and that is all just to wrap you up and, and to build you up to receive in this moment right here. But this is the most important part of the service. But now what you receive here has to be applied out there. Tomorrow morning, you're going to have an opportunity to apply what I'm saying today. Wednesday, you're going to have an opportunity. Thursday, you're going to have an opportunity. Friday, especially Friday, you're just, you're just waiting. Anybody ever made a stand? I'm just counting down the days. I'm just counting down the minutes. About 2 o'clock in the afternoon on Friday, you're just counting down. Come on 5 o'clock. So, uh, you know, this, this word that we're ministering, um, is vital to your life. And, and this message in this series today is probably the most important message. If I had to pull one out that says one is more important than the others, uh, because this is the very message that you don't want to, that the devil does not want you to hear. See, the devil knows more about you than you do. I'll say that again. The devil knows more. You're trying to figure out what the devil already knows, if I can put it that way. He knows what you're capable of. 
He knows the power and the authority that lies within you now that you are a believer and in the kingdom of God. He knows. We're trying to figure it out. That's why this thing is a process. It's by the renewing of your mind. You can't go and look at the calendar and say, that's the day I renewed my mind. Thursday at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I renewed my mind. It doesn't happen that way. You're renewing. You're processing. You're growing. There's a, a process that has to take place here. And so you are trying to figure out what the devil already knows about you. And if you figure out, if you get the full revelation of what I have to say today, the devil will not be able to stop you in your life. Honestly, you'll probably figure out that you've actually been stopping yourself. The devil hasn't even really had a part to play in it. And and, and that's where the devil works is in ignorance. If he can keep you ignorant on a subject, you'll never operate in it. You'll never operate in it. And here in Matthew chapter 15, kind of just setting some groundwork, Matthew chapter 15, verse 1, it says, The scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. The scribes and the Pharisees, the religious people, the ones that were the do's and don'ts, they were bound by the law. And Jesus shows up, the Son of God, and uh, he's kind of breaking that mode, that, that mold, so to speak. And so they're asking, why are your disciples disobeying our age-old tradition? Tradition. It's the traditions of man that are your greatest obstacle. It's man's traditions, man's religious code that is your greatest obstacle to any growth in the kingdom of God. For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand washing before they eat. They're not washing their hands before they eat. And this sounds like, you know, kindergarten here. Verse 3. Look at Jesus' response. Jesus replied, and why do you, by your, trans, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? What is he saying here? He's saying, you don't even know what God wants for you because you're so hung up on what you want for yourself. The traditions of man. Traditions of man. And so, you know, in this series, and, and as we're talking about the kingdom of God, we're dealing with some traditional thinking. When I make the statement, when I say, Jesus did not come and die on a cross so you could get to heaven. When I make that statement, that is a traditional mindset that's being played with. Anybody want to admit that you heard that growing up? I did. I'm there. I can admit that. I thought Jesus came to this earth and he died on the cross so I could one day go to heaven and be with him. I had no idea that he wanted me to bring heaven to earth. I had no idea that he wanted me to take his will and enact it on earth. I had no idea. I thought I was sitting around waiting. I'm sitting in the airport terminal with my bags packed. Jesus, you said you're going to take me home. Take me home to the streets of gold where there's mansions and there's no crying and there's no weeping. And then the kingdom comes and it messes with my tradition. And I've violated God's command or God's word for the sake of a traditional thought process that I was raised in or I heard growing up. Or that's what my old pastor used to say. I know that a lot of the stuff that we've said over the last few weeks isn't popular. 
The devil doesn't want it to be popular. Could you imagine if every church got a hold of this message? Could you imagine if we got Christians, instead of waiting around to get to heaven, started figuring out how to get heaven into the earth, get heaven into your finances, get heaven into your home, get heaven into your marriage. You don't have to deal with it the way things are. And, and, and so we, we've got to be teachable. What Jesus was telling the Pharisees and the Sadducees is you're not teachable. Your ability to be taught, your ability to be taught is one of the greatest character traits you could have. Has anyone ever come across somebody maybe in a line of work that you're in that they're just not teachable? They're a know-it-all. They've already got it all figured out, man. I mean, there's nothing I can tell you. You don't hear anything. They're already on to, to step number two, and you're still trying to explain step number one. Those kind of people, you don't want to be around them. Give me somebody that wants to learn, wants to grow, is willing to say, you know what, I don't have it all figured out, but please help me see it. Those are the kind of people that God wants. That's, that's what Jesus dealt with. Jesus didn't have a problem with the sinners because they didn't know anything. They were excited to get a hold of the kingdom message. Everywhere he goes, repent for the kingdom of heaven. And, All right, fine, repent. Where's the water? Baptize me. Get me under. They're, they're lining them up. But the Pharisees and Sadducees, repent. I don't need repenting. I go to church this many times, and I pray this often, and I give this much. The struggle in the mind of an unteachable person. The struggle that you have to deal with. So as we're going through this series, I'm asking you, as we've stated over the past couple weeks, to check the lens. Because there's a picture of what God has. You realize God isn't figuring this thing out. You realize he went to the end of the book, wrote the ending, and then started. He knows the end from the beginning. I always used to think that statement meant he knows the difference between the end and the beginning. No, it means he knows the end. Before he starts, he's already finished. Come on, somebody. Before he even uh, spoke the words, let there be light, he already knew the end result. He's not trying to figure this thing out with us. He's not walking this path with us. He's already done it. And now he says, look, the steps have been ordained of a righteous man. You just need to take the step in faith. Just trust and believe in me. That's why faith is the paramount of the, uh, of Christianity, because you cannot please God without faith. Faith is stepping out on something you don't see, but he's already placed it there. And so again, as, uh, uh, as we begin this third installment, I want to remind you of the, 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 the way that we understand and apply the word of God in our lives. First of all, you have to have a perception or how you perceive it. There's a picture, and then there's how I see the picture. Everybody in here that's wearing glasses, you're having to wear those glasses to help you see what's already there. It's there whether you're wearing the glasses or not. The glasses determine how you see what's there. That's how I perceive it. So our perception determines my interpretation. I can only interpret this scripture based upon my perception. So if I grew up with the perception that all I can do on this earth is get saved, 
try to do the best that I can, and one day I'm going to go to heaven, then you are going to understand this word based upon that interpretation. But now if we can change the perception, I can interpret this word differently, and now I can understand that everything in this word, God was trying to get something done that failed in Genesis chapter 3. God didn't change his plan. I mean, if, if we're all supposed to die and, and go to heaven, and that's all that we're here for, then why wasn't Adam and Eve looking for heaven? Why weren't they waiting for Jesus to come back and die on the cross and, and, and save them? Or why weren't they waiting, you know, why wasn't this whole earth thing a temporary idea and one day we're going to be with the Lord in the clouds? But you can't find that in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. So now that I've changed my perception, I can change my interpretation of the entire word, and I've got a different understanding. I can't understand what's not interpreted clearly. And then what I understand, I can then apply. We have a lot of Christians that aren't applying the word as it is written because they don't understand the word as it is written. So this is what we're doing through this series, is we're trying to adjust our thinking. We're trying to adjust how we see the word. Now, uh, the title of my message today is Out of Control. Out of Control. Uh, you've probably heard somebody use this term about our world today, or you've probably even used it yourself. How many of you would say that today's world is out of control? It's out of control. It's absolutely right it's out of control. But here's the question that I want to present to you today as we get into this. Out of whose control? Out of whose control? I mean, if it's out of control, then you're implying that somebody ought to be controlling it. But it's funny because the same person, the same person that will say the world is out of control will also say, man, thank God he's in control. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. God's in control, man. It's just crazy out there, but... It, do you, it, really? Is that the is this the best God can do? Is this the bed that is this the best that God has to offer us? Is this chaos and this mess that we're living in? I, I mean, we're in darker. I mean, it doesn't. It, it, it seems like every day now you can see how much darker it was than yesterday. You can feel it now. It's like gripping you. The darkness and the calamity and the turmoil that is going on. In our world today, God is in control? Well, you know, he's sovereign. Well, I hope that we can help adjust that today. I hope that I can help you see that differently today. Look at Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Now, last week, we talked about Jesus. We introduced the King, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. How many of you are glad Jesus is on the throne? How many of you are glad he's reigning? He hasn't given it up. You can't vote him out. You, you didn't vote him in. You can't vote him out. He's not campaigning for king. I know you wish he was. Let Jesus for president. He's king. He's greater than president. He's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. 
And as long as you submit your life to him, you get his best. But here in Matthew chapter 8, an interesting thing happens in verse 5. It says, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Jesus did this multiple times. He would stretch his hand out towards someone or lay his hand on someone, or maybe even someone would touch the hem of his garment. He would spit in the mud and rub it in people's eyes. Uh, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff. Jesus was a miracle worker. And so he says, okay, fine, yeah, I'll, I'll come and heal him. But this, this man, this centurion, responds differently. The centurion answered, verse 8, and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. Now, just for a little background, this is a Roman talking to a Jew. Romans are in authority at this time over the Jews. They're, they are taking over their territory. They are dominating their... The, the, the worthiness factor is opposite here. The Jews should be listening to the centurion. But the centurion sees something. He sees something. But only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. For I also, I also, I also... Am a man under, under, under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. How many military do I have in the room right now, active or retired? Yeah, great, awesome. So you're going to understand this concept real well. Come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Verse 10. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, as I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. The greatest amount of faith that Jesus has found is in a Roman that knows nothing about God, doesn't care anything about God, doesn't care anything about Jesus, the Son of God, coming as king and reigning on earth and prophesied Messiah that's going to come and give his life so that we can come back into union with God. He doesn't care about any of this stuff. He saw something in Jesus. Go back to verse 8, I think it was. Verse 9. I also am a man under authority. Isn't it interesting that This centurion, what drew him to Jesus, wasn't a religious deal, wasn't a belief system, wasn't the Messiah, the Son of the living God. It was authority. It was rank. It was chain of command. He says, I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. He sees this is the one man in all of the Gospels that truly understood who Jesus really was. Jesus did not come as a religious icon. He didn't, he's not the head of Christianity. In fact, the Christians didn't even call themselves Christians. Other people called them Christians. They identified as them as having spent time with Christ, therefore you're a Christian. They didn't have to go around and say, you know what, you know what guys, 
we follow Jesus Christ. Let, let's just let's make up a term, Christian. We're, we're, let's go with that. All right, everybody, I, everybody say I, I, great. This is not an upper room conversation, trying to figure out what are we going to be called. In fact, if you find if, if you go through the Gospels, you find out that they would call themselves believers or brethren. It was other people in Acts chapter 11 that said these men are Christians because they look and act and talk and operate just like Jesus Christ. I wonder if we're going around calling ourselves Christians and nobody else can recognize that we're Christians. Just a thought. So Jesus here is being recognized not as a religious icon, not as a religious figure, but as a political figure, somebody that has authority and power. He says, I'm a man under authority. That means I've got someone over me, and I've got soldiers under me as well. Now, here's the thing about authority. Your authority, your level of authority is limited by your level of submission. All my military guys, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't listen to the one above you, ain't nobody listening. You're getting removed from authority. You can't remain in authority if you can't remain under authority. If you can't submit, you're not going to be in charge very long. And that's a kingdom principle. That's not just a military principle. That's not just a worldly principle. If we can't submit to God, we don't operate in authority ourselves. If, and, 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 and so, who is Jesus in authority under? That's the first thing he pulls out, is that I see you as a man under Authority, not over, not in authority. He refers to being under authority. I also am a man. He recognized that Jesus remains submitted to someone, and that's why everything remains submitted to him. There was nothing that ruled Jesus in the earth. He's calming storms. He's casting out devils. He's healing all kinds of sickness and disease. He's speaking to fig trees, and they're withering up and dying. But he's under authority. If you go into the book of John, John chapter 4, John chapter 5, John chapter 6, John chapter 7, he repeatedly makes the statement, not my will, Father, but yours. Jesus spent a lot of time in prayer, and he spent little time with people's problems. He'd spend all night in prayer, and then he'd come down off of that mountain and just start healing people left and right. We spend a lot of time with people's problems, and we spend very little time in prayer. He remained submitted to his father. Therefore, he had no problem enacting his authority in the earth. Jesus did not operate with authority because he was the son of God. Jesus did not operate with authority because he was 100% God. In Matthew chapter 28, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, he says this, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority has been given to me. That means if Jesus has all authority, how much authority does the devil have? It's, it's very simple. None, zero, doesn't exist. The devil has zero authority in the earth. I didn't say he didn't have power. I said he doesn't have authority. We'll break this down in just a second. 
But he has all authority in the earth. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, you can't give authority if you don't have authority. That's why you can't just go up to somebody that you think you should, should be president and say, hey, I'm, I'm, elect, I'm making you president. You just go in. You just go take this thing over, man. Now, I'm sure some of you got ideas of people you would like to be president of the United States, whether they're, already, whether they're a write-in or whether they're already running. Hopefully some better options than what we currently have. <clears throat> but you can't do that. Why? You don't have the authority. You can't give authority unless you have authority. But Jesus, Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Mark chapter 16, Mark chapter 16 says it this way. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now he's talking to the disciples. Uh, Same conversation. This is what we understand as the Great Commission. He's sending out the disciples to do what? His work. Here's what I did for the last three and a half years. Now you go on and you do what I've been doing. And he said to them, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Now watch this, verse 16. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Verse 17. And these signs, these signs will follow those who believe. That's the qualifier. If you want to know how to get these signs to operate in your life, it's one thing. Very simple. Believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. Verse 18. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Now, I'm not bringing out snakes and Kool-Aid for everybody. That's not what this verse is talking about. Again, our perception determines our interpretation. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. What he's talking about is he's using references that help us understand evil power. If If you think that this world is limited to what you see, you are sadly mistaken. I'm always trying to help people see this. People are arguing or bickering with one another. I try to help them see, whoa, 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 whoa. It's not you versus them. It's both of you versus the devil. He is trying to bring something in between you. He's trying to bring a discord or, or so dissension. And so now you two need to unite and fight off the enemy. The enemy, there's an there's a evil spirit behind that, an evil power behind that. Just like there's good, there's also evil. And so he's saying here, they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Well, did Jesus do that? Yes. Absolutely. Did Jesus cast out demons? Yes. Absolutely. And if you go into the book of Acts, you will find that the disciples, after Jesus was gone, did everything that Jesus did. operated in authority and dominion. Jesus didn't have the power and the dominion and the authority that he had because he was just, I'm the son of God. Everything just listens to me. 
He came here to be your example. And he came here to be your representation of what we ought to be living in now that he's gone. He says, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, he's the only one that has the right to give, to give authority. Now, look at John chapter 17. John chapter 17. John 17, verse 15. I want to remind you, we're in the the U version app. They actually even did a little update to it uh, that, you know, looks a little different, looks a little cooler or whatever. So, uh, you know, but if you want to use the U version app, you can follow right along. Um, you can add your own notes in there, all kinds of stuff. Verse 15, I do not pray. This is Jesus praying to his father. Uh, I know many of you are going to wish he didn't pray this prayer, but he prayed it. And he says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. Well, that's a bummer. How many of us are praying to be taken? You're actually praying against Jesus' prayer. God, just get me out of here. God, just come take us home. Jesus, come on. Hey, look, I want Jesus to come to fix everything up, but if he tells me my purpose is in the earth, the only place I want to be is in the earth. Pastor Mark, you're crazy. You'd rather be on the earth than in heaven? Absolutely. Absolutely. I've endured trials. I've endured hurts and pains. And and there's people in heaven that are waiting for me that have gone on to be with the Lord that I wish were still here. Sure, there's opportunities where it just gets so bad down here, you're just thinking, you you almost get like Moses. Just burn them all up, Lord. Take us all home. But if I have to get to my purpose, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where my purpose is in heaven. I just don't see it. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but but that you should keep them from the evil one. That you should give them an ability over an authority over the evil one. See, when he taught us the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, we've all heard it. This is familiar. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. In this manner, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven. Where's he at? In heaven. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Come down from heaven to earth. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. The way you do things up there is what I want to be done down here. I mean, just taking a quick poll, is there sickness and disease in heaven? No. Is there lack and poverty in heaven? No. Is there hurting and pain and suffering in heaven? No. And he says, your will in heaven should be done down here. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. In in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is asking his disciples, he's about to go to the cross. 
about to go to the cross. And so he's asking his disciples, who, who, who do men say that I am? Who do they think that I am? Oh, they think you're the prophets. They think you're one of the prophets, you know, come back again. Prophet Jeremiah. And then he says, who do you? You've been around me a while. You've been with me for about three years. Who do you say that I am? And, and Peter speaks up by, by God. God's speaking through him. Peter speaks up and he says, I believe, uh, here it is, but who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We're talking about Jesus here, who Jesus is. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Verse 18. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my what? Church. I will build my church. Now, he's not talking about a physical building. Church is not an event. Church is not a place. Church is not a location. Church is not a building. You don't go to church. The church comes to church. The church is a people. The church is a people. You are the church. I've heard people tell me before, well, I, you know, I don't, I don't cuss at church because you know, I, I don't cuss on church ground. I told him, I said, you are church ground. You are the property of Jesus Christ. You are the temple of the living God. You are the church. So now the church is going. That's why I said that everything you are receiving here and absorbing here, now you take it out there. You don't have to come to church, to a church service, to experience God. They ought to experience God every time you show up. Every time you, see, I can't go to your job tomorrow. Sometimes I wish I could. Some of you got pretty cool jobs. But I'm not, I can't go to your job with you tomorrow. I can't raise your kids with you tomorrow. But now you get to go and you get to be around those kids. Now you get to go. The church is being sent. The church is being sent. See, sinners need to come. But then once you come into the kingdom, now you get sent back into the world. It's a revolving door. See, God knows what he's doing. Get them in, send them out. Get them in, send them out. Get them in, send them out. And so he says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let me show you this real quick. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. That is offensive, not defensive. See, too many of us feel like we're, you know, shut up in our churches trying to keep the devil out. Let me, let me just paint a picture for you. The devil's trying to keep you out. Oh, gosh. Oh, man. I, I, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. The devil knows more than we do. The devil knows he doesn't have the right. The devil knows he doesn't have the authority. The devil knows he can't stop you if you figure this out. He's trying to keep you out. Verse 19, and I will give you. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the church now. 
He's not just talking about Peter. This isn't just for Peter. God's not a respecter of persons. He's talking about the church, the church that he's building, the church that the gates of hell will not prevail against. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, of a government. Keys denote access. If I give you keys to this building, you have access to this building. Keys denote authority. If I give you keys to my vehicle, I'm giving you authority to drive my vehicle. The authority. If somebody comes to you and says, well, what are you doing with Pastor Mark's truck? Oh, I got the keys. Oh, okay, cool. Right? Because I gave you the keys. Yeah, you're right. That won't ever happen. That's, That's not a true story. If the Lord tells me to give it up, I'll give it up. I will. He says, I will give you the keys, the authority of the kingdom of heaven. Now watch this. This Oh, this is crazy. Oh, God, help our minds. Help our minds. Help our minds. Help us see this, please. Whatever you bind on earth, church, will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, church, will be loosed in heaven. And for so long, we thought we were waiting on heaven. And heaven is waiting on me. I mean, when I saw this, I quickly saw, God, I've been praying to you about stuff you've been waiting for me to do. You're praying to God about your government. You're praying to God about this election year. And he's saying, that's your realm. You have authority in your domain. That's your territory. You bind it. What's that mean? Not allowed. Disallowed. Bind it up. And loose. Loose. That means to allow or permit. You know what I've been praying over this election? I've been binding up confusion in the name of Jesus. The devil is the author of confusion. He wants to confuse our minds so we won't know who to vote for. So you'll go into those polls uneducated and ignorant and playing eeny, meeny, miny, mo. I mean, that's pretty much what I've seen on Facebook, the lesser of two evils. You mean God doesn't know who's going to be in there and he can't help direct us into who that person ought to be? No, I'm binding up. I've been binding up confusion, man. I'm binding it up because if I don't bind it up here, it can't be bound in heaven. But I've been binding up. Satan, you are the author of confusion and you take your hands off of people's minds in the name of Jesus. Oh, I know that sounds crazy. Like you're just you're telling the devil what to do and you're telling God what to do. Absolutely. Because this is my domain. This is my territory. God's not doing anything in this earth without using you and I. If he wants to part the Red Sea, he needs Moses. If he wants a boat to save the world, then he's going to get Noah. If he wants to bring, if he wants to save humanity, he needs Jesus. He needs you and I. He needs you and I. He doesn't just want you. He needs you. 
Because in Genesis 1.26, he says, man has dominion. Man has control. Man has the management over the earth. I can't do it without him. So you're praying to God to heal you. And he's saying, I've already made healing available. Now you need to bind up sickness and you need to loose healing. See, I, I, I find myself praying and asking God for a lot less. I command things to happen. That's what authority does. When you've got the authority, some of you soldiers in this room, when you've got the authority, it's been handed down, you don't go to your commander and say, hey, is it okay if I do this? They're going to hit you in the face. (laughs) Excuse me? You're in charge. You're in charge. You don't need to come to me. You don't need to come to me. I don't, I don't ask God for healing. God, please heal me. I don't see that in the Bible. Show me one time where Jesus had a healing line and prayed for people. No, he spoke to them. He told demons to come out. He told sickness to go. Speak right to it. Why? Because this is my territory. Man, I'm getting some of the blankest stares I've ever seen in my life. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. God, open our eyes. Open our eyes. And, 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 and the other thing that I do is I thank God. If I ask God for something, I only ask once. Because if I ask again, I'm acting like he didn't hear me the first time. Don't need to ask him twice or something. If, if, if Bradley over here says, hey, can I see your Bible? And I give it to him. And now he's holding it in his hand. I know you got to interpret. Sorry. If I picked the wrong person. And then he goes, hey, can I see your Bible? You got it, man. What's the problem? You got my Bible. Why are you asking me for the Bible? But now what do you say when I give you the Bible? You're welcome. Come on, is this helping anybody? I don't need to ask twice. He heard me the first time. My Bible tells me I have this confidence. I can come boldly to the throne of grace, and he hears me when I pray. I'm a child of the king. There's no guessing. Oh, if the Lord hears me. No, he heard you, and he heard you say if, too. (laughs) Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus is sending his disciples, and watch this. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them Power. You can't give somebody power you don't have. But Jesus had the power, and now he's sending out his disciples, and he's giving them power, the same power he had. And at the end of the chapter, they come back and say, man, even the demons bowed at your name. The disciples aren't anybody special. They're not anybody special. Jesus has done the same thing. For you and I, watch this. We're going to go on a little journey. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Hallelujah. Come on, you want to stay connected right here. The, the enemy, he wants to steal this word. The seed is being sown and he is looking for any seed that does not fall on good soil. He wants to, he wants to choke it out. He wants to pick it up. 
But man, if you can catch a hold of this, watch this. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power? Everyone say power. Toward us who believe. Remember that? All you got to do is believe. According to the working of his mighty power. Everyone say power. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And watch this. Seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Jesus is sitting down, y'all. He's sitting down. At the right hand of the Father. The right hand is where a king would place his authority. The person at the king's right hand had the same authority that the king had. And you had to listen to him just like you listened to the king. Okay? So Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, the king, in heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. He's saying that Jesus has all authority. He's far above all authority, all principality, all power, all might, all dominion, all those evil powers we talked about. He's far, it's not nipping at his heels. He's far above it. Jesus is. How many of you believe Jesus has all authority? All the hands go up. How many of you believe Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father? All the hands go up. Okay, watch this. Here we go. Verse 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him, Jesus, to be head over all things to the, what's that next word? Church. Which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. Fullness means completion. Guys, you've got to catch this. You've got to catch this. Fullness means completion. Jesus is not complete without his church. He's the head. We are the body. He's the head. We are the body. He's the head. We are the body. You've got to get this. You will never deal another day with sickness in your life if you understand this. You'll never deal another day with, with, with anxiety and worry in your life if you get this. You'll never deal another day with hatred and anger in your life and depression if you get this. Jesus is the head. You are his body. Now, now if I give Jason here, if I give him authority, to come in this building. Hey, I need you to go up to the church and, and do something for me. And give him access and give him authority. Am I giving authority to his head but not his body? No. All of him, right? He's incomplete with only one or the other. So if Jesus has the authority, Jesus has the authority, guess what? All the way down I have authority. Everything is under his feet. Even if you are the foot, you're still in authority. You're still over it. You're over sickness. Say, I'm over it. I'm over financial lack. Say, I'm over it. I'm over anxiety and worry. Say, I'm over it. 
You are over it. You are in charge. You're in authority. It's below you. It's beneath you. It's under you. Not just Jesus. You still don't get it? That's all right. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Right into the next. he's, He's still going. He hasn't changed subjects. The numbers are only there so we can find stuff. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love. See, everything that God does is motivated by love. Everything he does is motivated by love. He has your best interests at mind. See, that's why, that's why kings, natural kings, mess everything up. Because they want the power. I've got the power. Right? That's all you get today. I don't not doing it anymore. But Jesus, God, our King, has our best interests. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive. Okay, here we go. Made us alive together. Everyone say together. With Christ, by grace, you have been saved and raised us up together. Everyone say together. And made us sit together. Everyone say together. In heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Here we go. If it belongs to Jesus, it belongs to you. If Jesus has authority over it, you have authority over it. Come on. Uh, come on. You got to get this. You got to get this. You are where Jesus is. You are where Jesus is. You are where Jesus is. He's the head. You are the body. Just like my head can't do anything. I can sit in that chair and I can want to go to the bathroom all I want. And man, I got to go bad. Man, it's hurting now. I got to go. I got to get up and go. But if my legs don't get up and walk me over there. And my hands don't reach out and open the door. My head's not going anywhere. So here we go. You. You. Are. Jesus. In. The earth. You. Are Jesus. In the earth. He can't do it without you. This is why Paul over 160 times in the New Testament uh, uh, used this term. In Christ. Or in him. Or in whom. Why? Because you've got to start seeing yourself in him. Everything you are is in him. Everything that he has, you have. Everything he doesn't have, you don't have. Everything he's in control of, you're in control. And anything that doesn't control him doesn't control you. If worry doesn't control Jesus, worry doesn't control you. If sickness doesn't control Jesus, sickness doesn't control you. If lack doesn't control Jesus, lack doesn't control you. You are Jesus in the earth today. Every time you come into contact with somebody in the world, they've just come into contact with Jesus. Lisa or Chase, if y'all could come up. They've just come into contact with Jesus. Every, every single one of those individuals you just came across in England, they just came into contact with Jesus. 
They didn't just meet Ashley Palmer and Myrna Irizarry and, and Sloan Katula. They, they came into contact with Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And everything Jesus wants to get to them, he's got to get through you. Luke chapter 17, verse 21. Jesus made this statement. Jesus made this statement. He said, you're, you're, you're looking here and there for the kingdom. But the kingdom, the kingdom is within you. It's within you. That means it's got to get through you before it can get to them. That means it's got to get through you before it can get to them. You can't transfer what you don't have. Jesus had to have authority and power before he could transfer authority and power. Now, let me explain this real quick. Keep it down, guys. Keep it down. That's just my reminder that I need to hurry this up. If they don't come up here, I'll go forever. I once taught this for two hours in Nicaragua, in the heat. It was like 92 degrees. Outside, I can go. So what you got to understand about power and authority. Power and authority. How many of you own a weapon? How many of you have the authority to use that weapon? What happens if you use a weapon without the authority? It's called illegal. Right? Like I can still have the power of the gun. I've got the power. I don't have the right to use it. The devil has power. He just doesn't have the authority to use it. He's operating in this earth illegally. But you, haha, you have the badge on your chest. You've got the card in your wallet that says, nah, I've got the authority to use the power. So even though the enemy's been coming against your life, even though he's been attacking, even though he's been moving, even though he's been creeping in there, he doesn't have the right. And he's waiting for somebody with authority to step in and say, get out. You don't belong in here. You don't have access. You don't have authority. You don't have the keys to the kingdom. I have the keys to the kingdom. He's waiting for Christians to rise up in their authority. He knows the authority you have. He knows the power of the kingdom. He already came into contact with it with Jesus on the earth. And now he sees you and I, and he says, that's a bunch of Jesuses everywhere. And if I don't stop them, and if I don't keep them ignorant, they're going to overthrow me too. So this is what the church has got to rise up to. You have rights and privileges. Just as you have rights and privileges in the United States of America as a citizen, you have rights and privileges in the kingdom of God as a citizen. And it's time for the church to rise up in the last days and operate in our dominion and our authority. Take back our territory. Understand the rights and privileges that we have. Healing is yours. He paid a price. He took stripes on his back. Blood was shed. So you wouldn't have to deal with sickness and disease. So you wouldn't have to deal with lack and poverty and barely making it by. 
week to week, paycheck to paycheck. He wants you to be so blessed that you have to bless others. I gotta get rid of it. I gotta put it somewhere. I've gotta buy somebody a lunch. I've gotta take somebody a meal. I've gotta buy them a car. I've gotta invest in my church. That's kingdom mentality. I know it's not popular talk. I know we would all rather. I know many of you are saying, man, I wish you didn't tell me that stuff. I was all right just sitting back waiting for Jesus to come. But I'm telling you that you've got to control. It's out of control. It's time to get back in control. But it won't happen without the church of the living God. You and I operating in the dominion and the authority that is ours. I'm not telling God what to do. He's told me what to do. If, 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 if God is in control, if God is so sovereign, and He's going to do whatever He wants to do anyway, then why pray? Why would He tell me to pray? Your kingdom come. And your will to waste my time so I can just look spiritual so I can just have something to do while I'm down here on the earth no he said I need you to pray John Wesley said it he said it seems as if God can do nothing in the earth unless a man prays you mean you mean God has his hands tied Unable to do anything because of me? That's what his word says. You're seated in heavenly places. You're an ambassador. Paul said, I'm an ambassador in change. What's an ambassador? An ambassador is a government official. You ever wonder why all these government terms are in the Bible? And we've just missed it all along. Ambassador is a government term. An ambassador is someone that is sent to a foreign country from a home country to represent the home country. Paul said it this way. He said, I know my citizenship. My citizenship is in heaven. It's in heaven. So that means, that means I'm not limited to this world's economy. I'm not limited to this world's health care system. I'm not limited to this world's government. I'm not limited to this world's culture and this world's society. I have a kingdom culture. I think like the king. I represent the king. I act on behalf of the king. I've been sent here by the king to show people what heaven looks like. To show people what the kingdom looks like. All across this room, if you would stand with me. If you would stand with me. If you would stand with me. Hallelujah. God, open our minds. Open our minds. Just pray right now. Just ask Him to open your mind. I don't care if you liked anything that I said. I don't, I don't care if it, if it really did anything for you. I don't care if you disagree with me. Ask Him to open your mind right now by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Father, I thank you that your Holy Spirit's moving across hearts, moving across minds, moving across lives right now in the name of Jesus. Make your word clear to us.
Make your word clear to us. Help us see who we are in Christ Jesus. Help us understand what's available to us. Our rights and our privileges, our benefits and our access as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. May we not live one more day limited to this world society. But may we understand the power and the authority you've called us to operate in. In Jesus. Jesus, mighty name. Stay standing. Stay standing. Our ushers are moving now. We're going to take communion together this morning. We're going to take communion together this morning. Today is Palm Sunday. This week. The week that we honor the price that Jesus paid. Everything that I just preached to you, everything we've talked about for the last three weeks is because one man, one man gave himself up for everything I just said. Whether you ever come to recognize what Jesus made available to you through the cross, he still paid the price still paid the price. Still paid the price. Still gave himself. So we're going to honor that today. And then next week we're going to come together on Easter Sunday. I'm expecting this place to be packed out. There's no other plans you have that should trump being in the house of God on Resurrection Sunday. Because our King is alive. He's not dead. My God reigns. He's not somewhere, uh, you know, on a wall or in the ground or some little golden image that I bow down to. He is reigning on the throne. We're going to celebrate that. We've got water baptism next week. And I want you to sign up if you haven't and you need to be water baptized. And I don't care if you didn't sign up. Show up next week. We'll dunk you in your clothes, man. I don't care. That's a very important step for you to take in your walk with God. The dead is gone and the new has come. So here's what I want to do. If you're on this